Lord's first poem. Lord, Lord's first perm. Whew. Okay. Ugh. Sweating. All right. Lord's first poem. Lord's first poem was, I can't do it. It's too hard. It's too hard, Yuki. This is the worst day of my life. Try. The podcast where what? Welcome to Poetry, the podcast where we try to understand poetry. How are you, Yuki? I'm doing okay. Mm. Coping. <laughs> oh, you're coping. That's good. That's the poem we're reading today. <laughs> How are you doing? Mm. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm okay. Why do um, our personalities change when we hit record? Oh, I instantly become, I become shy. I get shy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm, I feel like I'm shy in every other part of my life, except for <laughs> when we record. Mm. All comes out. I'm okay. I'm um, kind of hot. You know, it's that weird time where you don't know where, how to, you know, you know, it's like, is the heat on? Is it off? You know? Like 80 degrees outside, but then it's also 60. It's impossible. Not in California. Mm. Temperature all the time. Mm-hmm. I think we used up all of our good banter before we were recording. I think we might have. Yeah. <laughs> we messed it up. That's okay. It up. Maybe there's some good stuff where we're talking about probiotics. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Okay, so well, you're What are coping. we reading today? I yeah. think you know what we're reading. Well, tell us what we're reading. Tell, reading well, the poem coping by audrey lord and why did you you pick this poem um as, as i pick, pick all, all of our them. poems yes because <laughs> you all you refuse to pick one yeah i just i don't know how to pick a poem you just pick know. one that you like these are just poems that i like i don't have like I know, a but where do you process. find them where do you you, you gotta just... you gotta read a book <laughs> <laughs> or or the internet you can read a book or you can read the internet it's your choice but I also did send you a book of poetry. I know, but we decided we don't, we're not going to do Lee Young Lee anymore. I know. We did so many of his poems. Up top. I know we did, but I, I do read it from time to time. Um, I don't know. You got to choose one though. Soon. No, I, well, okay. The other day I was walking down the street and there was this guy, he was like, I'm going to write, I, I can write you a poem in 90 seconds. And I was like, is that one gonna get, be good? <laughs> it's not. Was it good? I didn't do it. Oh, did you I have was to sure pay? He was gonna ask for money. I didn't mm. know, but I saw him like talking to another woman. But I, I was, I just. I don't think it was going to be good. You know, I found a poem actually that uh, my coworker wrote for me when I was working in that coffee shop. Uh, I can't find it. He wrote it on a paper bag. So it was, you know, this is like what like 10 12 something years ago maybe longer and i found it and i was like oh it was like in love with me <laughs> oh read it no i can't find it i mean he probably he, he was that's you know i'm being hyperbolic but i he probably definitely had a crush on me and it just didn't occur to me at the time but he, he wrote me did it occur to you that someone who wrote you a poem was in love with you is that something no, that happens to you a lot <laughs> You know, it doesn't happen enough. 
but no, for some reason it didn't occur. Like, I don't, I don't, maybe, I think it was just like, I was still at that age where just like male attention was, I don't know, just so strange and exotic that I just like didn't know what to do with it. So I was like, well, you know, I guess he just likes writing poems about coworkers. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he didn't write anybody else poems wow. about their lives. <laughs> it was like, it was like, like very uplifting and like very, like very encouraging. I was like, oh whoops <laughs> well know this for the future when men write your poems i mean it wasn't good it wasn't a good it doesn't poem. matter i mean it wasn't like this to write me a I, good poem this is the question though okay how do you know a good poem this is why i'm scared to pick a poem because what if i pick one and it's not good and i just can't well, tell okay i i think maybe so it i it's not that it wasn't good it wasn't good, but <laughs> when you're picking a poem, you don't have to choose something that's quote unquote good according to some, uh, you know, like external criteria. You know, it's just whatever you like, whatever resonates with you. I think some of the stuff that we've talked about, I, I don't think is, I mean, well, nothing's like universally loved, but I think some of the poems that we've talked about, people would not like. Okay, I'm going to tell you how to choose a poem because you're going to choose okay. one soon. I don't want to. Okay, you're gonna you you look you look up poem. You go to Google. You go po poem. Okay, and then you find a poem in Google, and then you read it. And then when you're reading it, you check to see how you feel while you're reading it. And if you feel really warm, okay, that means something's happening. If you feel very cold, <laughs> that also means something is happening. <laughs> Are you fucking with me right now? <laughs> Yes and no. I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> but the point is, like, it's just like what resonates with you is the whole deal with that poorly thought out bit. <sighs> okay. Oh, why did I choose? Day. Yeah. Why did I choose it? I don't know. I just like Audre Lorde. And I wasn't sure which of her poems to start with. Her most famous one, Litany for Survival. I guess we'll talk about that at some point. But I don't know, this one came up and held my attention at the right time. Mm. I what do you like you about know, Audre Lorde? Um, hmm. A lot of what I like about her, I kind of put in the bio, actually. Oh, okay. Well, you can save it. Well, she, she, she talks about her own personal experiences in a way that applies to like these broader, like human experiences. So like she's like using her own her own like various intersecting marginalized identities to reveal something about like being in the world in general which is not something that like a lot of times when we talk about people who who write about I identity or whatever we're never talking about like white men right it's always like someone who has like a marked identity and so those kinds of poems and and, and like other forms of art are always kind of seen as not universal as as being local and specific and and um you know like not necessarily relatable to everyone but mm -hmm. she's using her experiences to make something that is relatable to everyone whether or not you're black and a woman and uh, a lesbian so that's that doesn't come up necessarily in this poem although i do think that like you know as with all poets or you know anyone creating anything like her positionality allows her to see certain things um mm -hmm. And, you know, that certainly comes through in the poem. But, like, this poem I just liked because it's the imagery is kind of simple. Um, but, it, it, but it has this really 
this really interesting, ambiguous meaning that I'm not sure is like whenever I read this poem, I read it differently. I, re- I read it in two ways. I read it as empowering or I read it as kind of a, a witnessing to our own powerlessness. And I think it can re- be read both ways, depending on your mood. And so I like this poem for being able to accomplish two very different goals at once. It's cool. Please cut that out. No, I'm not, I'm definitely going to leave that in. No, cut it out. Oh, poems? Cool. <laughs> do you want to read your bio? I do. I Okay. I'll read my bio. I don't want to read it in front of you. This is embarrassing. I'll close my eyes. And so we've arrived. The Audrey Lord. Audrey the Lord. Her name is Audrey Lord. Born in Harlem, New York in 1934, Lord was a poet, essayist, professor, and activist. Lord described herself as a Black, lesbian, mother, warrior, poet, and wrote extensively and prolifically on the nature of identity, often using her own positionality to explore themes of injustice, love, suffering, and later in life, illness. Lord used her own marginalized position as a way to explore these themes with great intimacy and passion, and her work reflects how her personal experiences intertwine with broader political aims and movements. As Alison Kimmich noted in Feminist Writers, throughout all of Audre Lorde's writing, both nonfiction and fiction, a single theme surfaces repeatedly. The Black lesbian feminist poet activist reminds her readers that they ignore differences among people at their peril. Instead, Lorde suggests differences in race or class must serve as a reason for celebration and growth. Lord's first poem was published in Seventeen magazine while she was still in high school. The First Cities, her first volume of poetry, was published in 1968, and she continued to publish prolifically until her death in 1992. The poem we're discussing today, Coping, comes from Lord's 1978 work, The Black Unicorn. In addition to poetry, she wrote many influential essays, articles, and speeches that have become foundational across a variety of academic fields, and is known particularly for her work on the intersections of race, class, gender, and sexual orientation. Lord's work often extended into advocacy around queer and Black women's issues, both in the U.S. and globally. In addition to her participation in women's liberation, civil rights, and anti-war efforts, Lord founded The Kitchen Table, Women of Color Press, and was a founding member of Sisters in Support of Sisters, an organization that helped South African women living under apartheid. Throughout her life, Lord garnered many awards and accolades, including the McDowell Fellowship, the National Endowment of the Arts Fellowship, a National Book Award, and many more. From 1991 until her death in 1992, Lord was the Poet Laureate of New York State. It's hard to sum up the life and works of one of the most talented poets of the 20th century in just a few minutes, so I'll give up here and end with one of my favorite quotes from her 1977 essay appropriately titled, Poetry is Not a Luxury. The White Fathers told us, I think, therefore I am. The Black mother within each of us, the poet, whispers in our dreams, I feel, therefore I can be free. Coping by Audre Lorde. It has rained for five days running. The world is a round puddle of sunless water where small islands are only beginning to cope. A young boy in my garden is bailing out water from his flower patch. When I ask him why, he tells me 
Young seeds that have not seen sun forget and drown easily. Is it good? Yeah, that was good. Why? Why do you say it like that? Well, I mean, it's easier to read a poem than a whole bio (laughs) is all I'm saying. I wasn't saying in comparison to what you read. I was just, I was asking if I did the reading okay. (sighs) Well, I feel like I've been talking a lot already. Well, no, but tell me what, tell me what you think. Cause I feel like you often start with like what I'm thinking. I I want you to go first. Okay. I will start with what I'm thinking. Okay. I have recently learned that cope is, I think it's Gen Z slang, I assume, because I don't think oh, I've heard it? anyone my age say it. Yeah. It's like kind of like internet slang a little bit that where people it? say, like, um, it's like kind of a way of saying like, deal with it, buddy, you know, but you say cope. Oh. People will say cope. That's mean. Cope harder. It is kind of mean. And it kind of like, <laughs> it like it's like a weird way of like bastardizing like mental health stuff you know yeah. anyway so that's what I was thinking of when I read this poem at some point okay so I'm really into like definitions right now um are you oh yeah you well, are yeah. the thing the thing yeah but I'm curious um how do you define coping like what does coping mean for you oh coping so uh I think there there are two main ways I guess that I would use coping in a sentence I would use it to mean surviving as in like struggling to get by but doing exactly what needs to be done in order to survive and basically nothing more or I would think about it in terms of like coping mechanism uh, like a coping mechanism which is like something that you do to deal with things that are overwhelming but it's 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 not necessarily about survival it's about like finding the most healthier the most appropriate way for you to move through like an overwhelming experience or overwhelming feeling it's more about like optimizing your own experience those two ways I think about coping Mm. how do you think about coping yeah like the first word that came to mind for me was also survival but when I think about my own coping mechanisms it's not necessarily like survival based it's more just like getting through like a tough moment or like a tough situation until things get better. So like, you know, it's kind of like taking myself out of a situation or like distracting myself until whatever that disturbing thing is, is no longer an issue. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of maybe the ambiguity or the ambivalence that I'm getting from this poem is that coping can be healthy or unhealthy. People use alcohol or drugs or sex or you know the internet to cope you know when they want to be distracted um but there are also healthy ways of coping you know in a particular situation and i and i think what's so interesting about this poem is that it's not clear which is which yeah i think coping can be a good thing like it's like a self-protection mechanism right Mm -hmm. and so yeah so i guess that's i mean that's my overarching thought When I read this poem, um, I feel like two halves. So, you know, one, like the first half feels very like despondent and the second half feels really hopeful Mm -hmm. um, where she talks about the young boy bailing out water. Um, 
Do you also see that? I do see that. I like that imagery a lot of this little kid trying to save these seeds that are going to, you know, eventually grow into plants. And I think that that's part of why I can't decide if if the ending is is hopeful or despairing because there's something, you know, there's something about this this imagery of the little boy in the garden that is like kind of like godlike like he's like a you know like a caring father to these to these young seeds but because of the tone of the poem like it's not really clear if he's actually able to save them and so that's why i can't really decide if it's hopeful or if it's despairing and so like depending on how i'm feeling you know on a particular day i'll read it in one way or another Mm, that's really interesting the reason why to me it feels a bit ambivalent is that like the first part of the poem where she's talking about where she said the says the world is a round puddle of sunless water um that to me parallels the seeds in the flower patch that are being drowned by the rain right and so because the first part of the poem is rather despondent then and because the second half parallels it in some ways that's why to me i'm not clear But I like, I think maybe the hopeful part that's there regardless is that whether or not the seeds get saved, you know, then there is this external force that is at least trying, you know, that is at least trying to to bail them out, Um, which is very sweet, especially in the context of this being like a little kid trying to do this. Because even though I'm like my first instinct is, or my first thought is like, he has this kind of like godlike relationship with these seeds where he is like that's the world and he's kind of hovering over it trying to protect it it's also i don't know there's also this kind of like very sweet little kid logic in it where especially if it's the kid talking who says young seeds that have not seen sun forget and drown easily you know talking about the seeds forgetting you know that that's like a like that's the way a a child would think about or a poet the way a child or a poet would think about (laughs) The way plants grow and the way they and the way they don't grow, like all like the like the dangers to the plants, you know, of, of like according them this kind of uh, sentience. And so, I don't know that that's that's also so like regardless of whether or not he's successful in saving the seeds, I, I that that way of thinking about them is, I think, inherently very sweet and caring. Yeah, I also I really like the dynamics between the speaker and the young boy and the seeds. It made me think about how like a lot of times like young people give older people hope, you know, like I feel like so just like, like, I'm just like very accepting of the status quo. It's like, oh, that's the way the world is, you know, it's just, ugh. Um, but I work with a lot of young people and they're like very idealistic and very hopeful. And I think, you know, it's, it's always really nice to surround yourself with people who are like that, who don't just accept that the world is going to drown and go to hell. You know, there's someone who's out there like thinking, no, like we got to do something to like, you know, make the world a better place, but also like the young boy to the seeds. It's kind of like, I I think it's interesting, like the, the godlike like power that you saw um, Mm -hmm. in, in the young boy. One thing I was thinking was like, you know, it has, kind of this feeling of like, you know, he he calls them like young seeds, which seems like young people or, you know, just like people who haven't learned how to cope 
on their own, you know, like the seeds don't have any ability to like brush the water off of them. Um, And in the same way, like a lot of young kids, you know, they haven't learned healthy coping mechanisms. Um, And so you have to help them out. Like you have to get, you know, you have to like trying to push aside some of the, the negative stuff so that they can have a chance of survival Mm -hmm. um, because they just don't have those coping mechanisms yet. So I saw that like kind of caretaking um, kind of like parent aspect, but I like the God aspect too, because I think of, um, you know, in my faith, I think about God as like, you know, never giving you more than you can handle that kind of, you know, like he, if you ask, he'll like take away Mm -hmm. some of that burden. Um, So yeah, like after you said that, I was like, oh yeah, I think I could see that as well. I, I think it's also because there's the, the the way it opens. It has rained for five days running. That immediately brings up like, you know, a great flood arc-like mm-hmm. kind of imagery where it's like dreary and endless. And um, even though like the, the first part of, or like the first part of the poem doesn't have that. It doesn't have like a, like a, a, a an external figure that is trying to, help these small islands, you know, learn how to cope. And then the second part does, which again, I don't know how hopeful it really is because it's like, along with sort of the kid logic of thinking that the seeds will forget, you know, it's kind of like what you're saying, like young people are are idealistic. And so it's not really clear if he's being idealistic in, in, you know, trying to bail out these seeds, but I like that he's trying anyway I guess like like when I was younger, then I was, I don't know if I was idealistic exactly, but I certainly didn't have a very nuanced understanding of the world. And sometimes I I would like thinking back, I feel kind of like uh not embarrassed, but like like, oh, like why didn't you know that? You know? And it's like, oh, I literally wasn't supposed to, because like that's the mindset of a young person is to kind of think of things um in a way that it, that is more black and white and a little less nuanced. And that that has a that that has like a place actually in things because that's actually what compels you to act, you know, before you get older and jaded and um, well, not just jaded, but also you began to see things a little bit more in shades of gray. And so it, you know, changes the way you interact with things, changes the way you engage with things. But like the, the sort of, I don't know, just the, the willingness to like get in there and do something when you're young, it doesn't seem like the speaker has that necessarily. It seems like, you know, like this is like this is a relatively mundane scene that she's witnessing with this young boy, but that has caught her attention, um, which means that it's like it's something about it that's speaking to her that is like not um, that is unusual, you know, for her experience. And it seems as though like I, the, the implication, I think, is that maybe she's one of those young seeds that has not seen sun. Mm. And so if that's the case, it's not clear if seeing this young boy bailing out water reminds her of something, like reminds her that the sun is still there, which would be like a more unambiguously hope- hopeful ending. One thing that you said at the beginning was something about how he's bailing out the water and it's not clear whether, you know, bailing out the water is actually doing anything. Mm-hmm. And that made me think like, oh, you know, it, maybe the the speaker knows in her heart 
you know, or like with her like adult wisdom that like bailing out the water isn't actually going to do anything. It's not actually going to make any difference because it's been running, raining for five days and it doesn't seem like it's going to stop. But, you know, it's, it's not actually that he's helping the seeds cope because it's kind of a, you know, in, in that kind of despairing reading, you know, there actually isn't any hope, but it's actually a coping mechanism for him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a way for him to feel okay with the fact that, you know, these seeds are going to die. It's never going to stop raining. Um, the seeds are going to forget what the sun looks like. Um, but this is his way of like keeping going. Yeah. Um, and I, I also like what you said about, you know, maybe she sees herself as the seeds. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought of that before, but, um, you know, in that sense, like, like if, if, if I saw myself as a seed, even though I know that the rain is never going to stop, like how grateful would I feel to that boy for like letting me breathe a little bit, you know? Yeah. For making the attempt. What do you think she's talking about in general? Like why, why do you think she has written this poem? I think that like on days when things seem really horrible and you're just like, ugh, the, uh, it's never going to get better. You know, like those are the kinds of days when you need a coping mechanism, right? Like you need some way to get through. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that way to get through, uh, it's just over. Right. And I think that like, this is like a picture into a moment when, you know, she was just feeling really despondent and saw something that gave her just like a sense of hope or light amidst all of the horribleness. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us need those kinds of reminders when things are just really horrible and you you can't muster that out of your like your own psyche. Mm-hmm. You know, like you need to see an example of it somewhere else. And like, you know, I love that it was a young boy because for me like I feel like young people, like that's generally where it comes from for me, like that kind of hope or like those kind of new ideas or, you know, like, I feel like young people have ways of putting things that are just like, just like make you quirk a little bit, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, like even what you were saying before, like, you know, the Gen Z way of saying like, oh, cope harder, you know, Mm -hmm. like, which is funny because I feel like Gen Z is like the most aware of mental health issues. Yeah. So it almost sounds like um, facetious, you know, to say cope harder, because I feel like they're the kinds of people who would least be likely to mean it. Oh, I don't think that they mean it in a nice way. It's it's to, I think it's no, like, it sounds really mean, but I know it's, re- I yeah, wonder- it's really mean. It's, it's like weaponizing mental health discourse, you know. But I wonder if maybe it's like a joke, like maybe. It is. I, I mean, know. yeah, I mean, it's used it's used in a in a joking way, but in the same way that, you know like telling someone to deal with it can be used in a joking way, you know? I I guess I'm wondering if maybe like, you know, it's like, like toxic positivity. Mm-hmm. It's like you, sometimes you can say things that are toxic, toxically positive, <laughs> positively toxic. <laughs> um, but like, I, you know, like if you both agree that this is a horrible thing to say, mm-hmm. then you can say it and like, it can be kind of this, shared understanding of something that's horrible like 
we talk about this thing that's like plus five. So it's like, you're going through a difficult situation and you like go up to the person and be like, how would you plus five this situation? Which is just like horrible. Like I, like I'm really trying to cut this out of our vocabulary because it's just like so cruel, you know? I don't think I get it. So it's like somebody's like, you know, like their housing situation is like really bad. Like their apartment is like, you know, crawling with cockroaches and it's just like, they're really unhappy and feel unsafe and, you know, sick and whatever. Right. And so you go up to them and you're like, okay, clearly you're going through this really shitty situation. How would you plus five it? Like, how would you find the silver lining in the situation? And you're like, well, okay, plus five, I guess I'm in this like new country having, you know, like an adventure and meeting new people. And yeah, you know, and I, even though my housing situation is horrible, like I'm getting to have all of these new experiences and I'm like, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Like, it's like just totally dismissive of what is going on that is making you upset. And so like one, one thing that I think is funny is that like among the people who learned this like plus five, I think everyone now accepts that it's just like a really bad way to approach (laughs) a negative situation in your life. So like when, when two people who know plus five come together and they're just like trauma bonding over a really bad situation, they can just kind of joke about plus fiving things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, part of me is wondering if maybe like co-parter is like in that same vein, it's like, you know, like, Oh, this is so shitty co-parter you know but really it's like no this is really terrible like no it it is a thing you say to someone to degrade them it's it's not like it's not like a shared experience (laughs) it's like you were insulted by something i said and then you were like hey i didn't like that and i'm just like co-parter like that's 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 what i would say i mean that's maybe an oversimplification of the twitter discourse that i've been looking at but like um no it's 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 like deliberately not nice that's Um, so mean it is really mean. And so, I, I mean, I, I think that, like, the fact that it is u- utilizing mental health discourse to be mean is, like, the worst thing. You know, it's like telling the someone worst. to go to therapy as, as like, as an insult or as a, as, a, as a comeback or something. You know, like, it's not, these are not meant to be, like, trump cards in an argument. It's, like, yeah. actual things to help people. But, I mean, the, the yeah, the, the plus fiving thing is interesting, too, because I really have, I've always been very resistant to, like, silver lining ways of thinking about things because I come from somewhat of a silver lining family and I felt like it was not always helpful to like have to have like the negative experiences to just be like dismissed or overlooked and so I really resisted that but I have found actually that it you kind of do have to to move through something difficult you do kind of have to be able to embrace what is positive about a situation it's just that other people can't tell you what that is if you have someone coming up to you and being like yeah you're homeless but you get a lot of fresh air, you know, you know? <laughs> like it, it, it's, it's condescending. And so like, it has to be something that you come to on your own and in your own time. If you come to it at all, I mean, some stuff is just like bad and yeah. there's nothing, you don't need to make it better. It's just like, I made it through it, but it was bad, you know? Yeah. Well, I think like you always have to let bad things have its space. Yeah. You know, you can't just like replace it with something that you're grateful for. Like, I think that's a, the, like a mistake that people often make with gratitude. It's like, okay, I can just like distract myself with things that are positive. Yeah. And like, that's not 
I think that's like a, a misuse of gratitude, yeah. right? Because like those bad things that are going on in your life, like those deserve just as much space. Like you don't want to dwell on it like crazy, but like, if you just ignore it, if you, you know, just like pretend it doesn't exist, it doesn't go away. It doesn't, you can't like heal from that. Right. Hurt. Yeah. You have to go through it. Well, you were about to ask something. It was going to be good. Oh, I, I was going to ask, so like when I read the first part, it feels to me like someone who's going through a really difficult time and doesn't have like a coping mechanism mm-hmm. and like happens upon this thing that's like gives her a little bit of hope and maybe can be a coping mechanism for her in the future. I'm wondering like, have you experienced something like that where, you know, maybe when you're a little kid or something, you're like going through something and you don't have a way to cope with what's going on, but something pops into your life. Mm. Yeah. I have like a, like a really devastating answer to that. <laughs> like a really hopeful answer, much like this poem. I mean, my, I, I coped um, by just full on dissociating for most of my life. So mm. that was like, you know, whether it was childhood or not, I mean, that's when it started, but like that was a way of, getting through something that was overwhelming. Um, but you, you certainly can't say that it was healthy, but I'm still here. So, you know, <laughs> Plus five. <laughs> Plus five. Um, and, but then also, you know, I've been through a lot of really difficult things and, you know, I, I often find myself not getting the support that I wanted or the support that I needed um, or the support that I was expecting from certain people but I will say that pretty much every time someone else that like I wasn't expecting has come through and maybe mm-hmm. not given me, you know, exactly what I needed, but what was like, you know, it was like driftwood in the sea, you know, before I could yes. make it to the shore. Um, and I would say that happens every single time. Um, and it's, it, I mean, I, and I think that a lot of people have had the experience of going through something really hard and they're kind of surprised by who shows up and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um and so, I mean, I've certainly had that experience. Yeah. What about you? Um, yeah, I can't think of a good example right now, but, you know, just like, I, I feel like there's a lot of like spirituality kind of baked into this poem too. And it kind of reminds me of like, like th- that, that driftwood image is just like really powerful. It's like some other wreckage somewhere else is like yeah. <laughs> helping you through. Yeah. Um, and it's like totally unexpected. And it's like, kind of miraculous right Mm -hmm. um i really like that that imagery um yeah i'm trying to think if something like that has happened well i think like finding my faith was kind of like that for me right like Mm -hmm. i was going through a really difficult time and like i have never been a religious person you know ever um i was like aggressively atheistic i recall yeah i recall yeah (laughs) I was kind of a bully. Um, but yeah, so that was like really surprising to me um, that like that would be, you know, the driftwood in the storm for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just, I, I think like sometimes it's an unexpected thing um, and you have to be like observant, you know, like you, you have to be open to something, even if it's not, you know, exactly what you want or you need, like you said, it's, it's just enough. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you said that this poem was like, like there's a lot of spirituality in the poem. And, you know, I, I do see where that could be there again with that more hopeful reading. Um, But I also get the sense of someone who is like struggling with what's not there in terms of maybe her spiritual life or, or her sense of, of, you know, feeling protected and safe. Mm. Um, Yeah. Cause maybe she's, you know, she's seeing this young boy bailing out these seeds and like, if she sees herself in the seeds, she's like, well, there's nobody bailing me out of this, you know, sunless, dreary puddle. Yeah, exactly. There, there isn't anyone. There's no one in that first part of the poem. The small islands are only beginning to cope. The, the islands are coping themselves. There's no one saving them, you know? Yeah. Like, okay, if, if, we're, if we're reading it the way I'm reading it, which is the, you know, young seeds that have not seen sun forget and drown easily, that she is one of the young seeds. And it's something that she would have been missing. She would not have seen sun for a very long time. You know, you'd have to go mm-hmm. through a long period of like not seeing sun to forget how to live, um, which I think is what she's experiencing. And so there's like this, um, I don't want to say a longing for, but certainly like a witnessing to what what's not there. Um, in terms of maybe this godlike father figure, or I guess it doesn't have to be a father figure, I guess just because it was a boy, but like in terms of there being an ultimate protector that is, you know, bailing out the the world, um, it's not clear if she thinks that that's there or not for her. Yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, even if no one is helping you, I don't know. Maybe it gives you some hope to see that happening for someone else. I don't know. Or it could just make you more bitter. Mm, Yeah. I wonder if it's just like a reminder that she's, she has a tendency to drown easily. Like that, that, like that is maybe a little Mm. bit of her nature, Mm. but that, you know, maybe it's the case that you don't have to forget, you know, like, like forgetting is, is something that to a certain extent you have some degree of control over yeah and the little boy the way this little boy talks about these seeds gives them a degree of of control and sentience that you wouldn't typically afford um to seeds that is you know much more human-like and so maybe it's the case that you know you just need the reminder yeah i mean the sun will it will come eventually Mm -hmm. you just have to make it through yeah 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 or maybe it's like you know sometimes it's really hard to know if somebody is helping you like the seeds you know probably don't realize that there's somebody there's a little boy out there like scooping water out yeah um so it's like oh maybe there is something happening and i just you know i'm too mired in the rain and i can't see it yeah um and maybe just like the possibility is enough to give you some hope and mm-hmm. yeah, like the reminder that like, I'm just like the seed. If I continue to strive, it might be okay. Or it might be pointless. Mm-hmm. Are there any lines? One. Well, well, I don't know. I don't know. If well, we just to... like the, the podcast in general. I feel like we, we're, we're pretty bleak. <laughs> well, that's because I keep choosing all the poems. Why, that's why I want you to choose more. I want you to choose some because, like, I'm going to choose these ones. But, but, but I, but I don't know if this one is a is a bleak poem. 
Yeah. It's it's really you can you can really read it either way. I mean, there's certainly a yeah. there is a, a a bleakness to the start of it, but it's it's um whether or not you choose to read that ending as bleak is is completely up to you because there is someone out there who cares enough to try. And that I mean that is deeply meaningful to me. But yeah. um so is the fact that I may forget and drown easily. <laughs> you know, that's also very meaningful. So it's, it, it's meaningful is it meaningful even if it's pointless yeah i mean i would much rather someone make a genuine attempt to show care and support you know and and encouragement and affection and stuff and 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 completely botch it yeah. than to not try okay what is your favorite line what's your key takeaway i don't know what's final thought okay that's three different things my okay, favorite fine. line. Okay. There, okay. So there's, there's a couple of things that I, that I want to mention. One is that I love the, the phrase sunless water because it really speaks to the kind of the dreariness in the like physical aspects of the poem and the imagery um, and the, the despondency that comes with that. Something that is sunless is, is, has been devastated, you know? Um, and then, of course, I love the last four lines. He tells me, young seeds that have not seen sun forget and drown easily. I love that ending. I think it just punctuates the whole poem, that feeling of bleakness throughout the poem. It punctuates it very well. Maybe it's because it's the only line that actually does have punctuation. <laughs> which brings me to my last point, which is that I really like, I don't know if I necessarily like it, but one thing that is interesting is that there's no punctuation in this poem except for at the very end. And so like the way you, like the way you, I was really, really, really interested to see how you would read this one because there's no punctuation except for at the very end. You can read it a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, and it really can change the meaning of the poem quite, quite dramatically depending on where you, you know, start and stop and where your inflection is and intonation is and stuff. Those are my favorite lines key takeaways and final thoughts <laughs> sorry i piled on a lot oh one of my favorite lines which i was not sure how to read i think there's like a lot of tone things in the poem too like if you read it in a different tone it would mean a different thing um one line that i really struggled with was when i ask him why because i think you could read it as kind of like like why you know, it's kind of like, why bother? Um, mm -hmm. Or it could just be just very straightforward when I ask him why he's doing that thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and How did you end up reading it? I think I read it a little bit more straightforward because I, I feel like by, um, by that part of the poem, like the focus is less on the despondency and the dreariness. And there's like a little bit more interest in what, a little boy is doing. And so I, yeah, I kind of read it a little bit more straightforward, but like, you know, if you, if you read it in that, like, why bother kind of way, you know, it's kind of like this person is in a really bad state of mind. And the boy's response is like, oh, don't you know, you know, like, mm -hmm. don't you know that this is why? Um, so yeah, I think that there are a lot of different ways to read this poem. Um, and yeah, like you said, like depending on what your own mood is when you're approaching the poem, it can come out really differently. Yeah. So that has something for everybody. 
crowd pleaser. It's a crowd pleaser for the despondent and the hopeful. Yeah. Is this the first uh, Audre Lorde poem that you've ever read? It is. Yeah. Like I've never, like I, I have heard of Audre Lorde, of course, but I have never read anything by her. So I gotta, I gotta get on that. I don't know a like lot it? of things. I did like it. It's very things. I know a lot of things, but not in like a, um, do I? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I know a lot of random things. Not when in jeopardy over here. Okay. I think I'm like smart-ish, but I'd rather be wise. You know? Do you think I'm smart? I think you're smart and wise. Do you think I'm pretty? I think you're so beautiful like the sun. (laughs) On the sunless days, you are just like, you just break through. You're Mm. so gorgeous. Mm. Ask me another one. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think I'm kind? I think you're really kind, but you're also very real. Like you're not going to be kind just for kind's sake. What does that mean? Shouldn't I be kind for kind's sake? No. I think you're kind. And really? And smart. (sighs) And wise. Like a beautiful owl. Okay. So how do we end this baby? Well, end of podcast. Okay. End of podcast. That's it for us today. R.G. Lord's bio was compiled from Poetry Foundation, The Marginalian, and womenshistory.org. All links will be available in the show notes. Our music is from Less FM. For questions, comments, concerns, or if you have a poem you'd like to discuss, hit us up at wepoetried at gmail.com. That's w-e.poe.tried at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Say bye, Yuki. Bye.